Jonathan Yondell tells a story about a missionary, Gladys Allward. She was a missionary to China a long time ago, many, many years ago. And she was forced to flee when the Japanese invaded Yangqing, the area that she was in. She couldn't just up and leave. She was overseeing 100 orphans in her orphanage. So she gathered the 100 children together and were trying to lead them over the mountains into what was known as Free China, the Free China area. So you can imagine gathering up 100 children. I mean, you can't even get 10 children together. It's like herding cats, you know. She's got a hundred children that she wants to lead over to safety to what's known as free China. And there's a book called The Hidden Price of Greatness and it's recorded in there. We are told that during Gladys's harrowing journey out of war-touring Yangqing, she grappled with despair as never before. After passing a sleepless night, she faced the morning with no hope of reaching safety. You have a hundred children you're responsible for. She can't see in her mind any hope of actually making it to free China. When she had no hope of reaching safety, a 13-year-old girl in the group reminded her of the much-loved story of Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. Well, Gladys goes, but I'm not Moses, she said in desperation. And the little girl goes, of course you aren't, but Yahweh is still Yahweh. Amen. Amen. Yahweh is still Yahweh. Amen. Our community witnessed the destructive power of a wildfire, the likes of most of us have never seen before. I've seen some videos that you've posted online, your harrowing escape out of the flames of the fire. Some of you drove through walls of fire literally to get out to be safe from the area that you're in. And of course, some of those who lost their homes could be grappling with, the, with despair at the moment. So many questions. There's so many questions still. Why God? Why me and not them? Or spin it around, why them and not me? Survivor's guilt. God, where were you? Can I still trust you? God, are you still God? I don't have the answer to all of the questions that we're facing. You have questions. I have questions. The only thing I know for sure is that what has been revealed to us about the character of our God, who is our savior and our redeemer, our rock and our refuge and stronghold to run to. Paul in this letter right here that he's writing to the Corinthians had experienced a life-threatening situation like us, many of us. But how does he answer these questions? How does he come back with the answer to the questions that some hearts are asking this morning? God, are you still God? In 2 Corinthians chapter one, he opens up briefly to us just a few short verses and gives us some clues how you and I can work through this disaster. He says, amid life-threatening events, we learn of our, of our inadequacies to fix the problem and the need of the resurrection power and presence of God in our lives. This is exactly what he wants to say. So, I, you know, why does it take a catastrophe sometimes for us to be more focused on God? I mean, it does sometimes. Hopefully that we would always be focused on God, but sometimes it takes a catastrophe for a to get our eyes off of ourselves and back onto the one who truly cares for us. So Paul's writing to the Corinthians because he had promised to come to them, but he was delayed in his coming. So he wants to give them a reason why he was delayed in his coming. So he's telling them why he couldn't come. We're going to start in verse number eight. 
First, second Corinthians chapter one, verse eight. He writes to the Corinthians, the second letter and says, for we do not want you to be unaware brothers. And that's brothers and sisters of the affliction we experienced in Asia, which is a province, a Roman province comprising some of Turkey, modern Turkey today. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also Corinthians must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. It's possible that the Corinthians knew that something had happened to Paul, but they didn't know the severity of it. They didn't understand how severe it really was, how life-threatening it truly was. I heard somebody telling a story of somebody coming, not, not in Medical Lake, someone outside of Medical Lake, hearing about the war-torn areas of Medical Lake. They drove in the 902, stayed in the north part of town, and then drove out and said, I didn't see any war-torn areas. It doesn't seem like the war zone that people describe to me. We understand the severity, don't we? We were there. We have seen it. You have seen it. We saw and experienced the life-threatening danger. Maybe even some despaired of life. I was told that from the east side of Silver Lake, boats were shuttling people over from the west side. People trapped on their docks couldn't get out. Her affliction was severe, just like Paul's. See, but what's great is that Paul doesn't give us what happened to him. That was not important to him. What happened to him was not important. What I want you to notice is Paul does not focus on the details of his affliction. He doesn't even tell us what it is, but rather on the divine purpose behind it. Why, God, did you allow this life-threatening danger to come into my life? What was your purpose behind it? He wasn't even focused on him. If he was focused on himself, he would have went through this whole long list of what happened to him. It wasn't about him. It is God, what are you trying to teach me through this? What is your divine purpose in all of this? Paul thought that God had decided it was time for him to die. He saw a total absence of any kind of exit from this death sentence. <laughs> in the para, uh, Phyllis paraphrase, Philip paraphrases this first, excuse me. He writes, at that time, we were completely overwhelmed. The burden was more than we could bear. In fact, we told ourselves that this was the end. That's how he felt. It's over. It's done. I'm, I'm going to die. God is going to, 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 to bring me home. Whatever the affliction was, we don't know. He understood that God was still in control and God was going to bring him home. See, when affliction comes, we ask sometimes, God, are you still in control? H have you forgotten about me? And will you protect me in the storm? Do you still care for me, God? I'm looking around at this life-threatening event with walls of fire left and right, and I'm asking, do you even care? Do you see? I don't have the answer why some houses were destroyed and others weren't. I don't know. I don't know. There seems to be no rhyme or reason. But this I do know, that God is always good. Always good. He is always good. I don't know why. 
I don't know why. There's no rhyme or reason why the fire jumps over one house and destroys another. I don't understand that. But I know that he is good. He is never evil. He never has evil intents for us. He has not abandoned us, nor will he ever abandon his people. As a father, he cares for his children. He protects his children. He's to be trusted and praised. Part of Paul's concern about death was that the, his mission, he, his, 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 his ministry was to take the, the gospel to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. And he was concerned, if I go, then my ministry is going to stop, Lord. I mean, I'm sure you'll raise up somebody else, but my ministry to the Gentiles is going to stop. So part of his concern about death was that the mission to the Gentiles would be cut short. I mean, we already know how Paul feels about death. In Philippians chapter one, he told us, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Amen. Yes, that is far better. But then he goes, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So even in the midst of this life-threatening event, he's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about the ministry to the Gentiles. His concern is for the Gentile converts. It's not about himself. He was thinking about others as he was suffering. That's not an easy thing to do. That's not an easy thing to do. I confess when I suffer, I get really selfish. I just think about myself. He wasn't. He was thinking about the Gentile converts and the ministry stopping. So he thanked him that his ministry could continue on because God did deliver him. The depth of the great danger he experienced in Asia was matched by the depth of gratitude to God for his deliverance. So you have this, the weight of this great, this great affliction, this, this, this experience that he had, but his gratitude on this side was probably even greater than that experience. Yes, this happened to me, but I am grateful to you, God. Thank you for who you are. I will never forget that. Because his faith was in the resurrection power of God. In other words, the power that took an inanimate body, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that was dead and breathed life back and the body came back out of the grave has that power to to take a dead body and give it life. If he has the power to take a dead body to give it life, don't you think he has power to work in our lives? Yes, he does. And Paul says, I'm gonna guarantee, I'm gonna trust this power, this omnipotent power of God to be at work in my lives. He is not powerless. That's what Paul wants to tell us. The God who raises the dead is sufficient for any difficulty in life. It was beyond Paul's strength to endure, but it was not beyond God's strength to strengthen him or God's power to deliver him. He says, it's not in me. We we could not rely on ourselves. We had to rely on God. We couldn't rely on ourselves. It was not in his power. Suffering as horrendous as it is can help believers more fully appreciate God and draw close to him. Sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? The psalmist in Psalm 119 has two verses that talks about this. It is good for me that I was afflicted. Say that out loud. It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Or verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Paul understood that sometimes in the midst of suffering, as bad as it is, it helps us more fully and completely draw near to God. Paul was tempted to handle it, just like you and I may be tempted to handle the situation all on our own. 
The roots of human pride grow deep even in the apostle Paul, but there was no one that could handle. There was no one that could deliver him. It reminds us of what we experienced. There was no way anyone could handle the wildfire on their own. They tried. They told us at the community meeting on the Wednesday night over at the high school, they explained, the fire chief explained what happened when it began moving north eastward a tad bit. It was heading directly for the center of Medical Lake. If the winds wouldn't have shifted, it went right through Medical Lake. They said, we have to stop with the fire. We have to start evacuating people because they couldn't get it under control. There's no way they could have stopped it. They tried, but they couldn't stop the thing. It was too fast. It was too fast. It was too powerful. It was too destructive. Situations like that, we are immediately forced to hold on to God, to cry out to him. It's just a reminder of how powerless we truly are. God wants us to trust him, not our own strength. See, Paul could have trusted in himself to solve his problems, but he had learned to trust God's power to work in his life already. He'd already had that experience. He knew God was faithful. God would take care of him. Paul was at a point that he he couldn't fall back on any any human intellect, any human resources. He just wasn't available. And Paul wants the Corinthians to understand how powerless both he and they are apart from God. And I say that to us this morning, how powerless we are apart from God. We need him today. We need him. This is to impress upon our minds the importance of praying for one another, affecting God's graciousness being poured out to the community for every sufficiency Paul has is in God and not himself. When things are at rock bottom and all human resources are exhausted, then a person is most receptive to experiencing the power of God. But I ask us this morning, why wait? Why wait to the catastrophe? Why wait till it comes upon us? Why don't we today trust the, and experience the power of God at work in our lives? Let's not wait till an event comes. Let's trust him today. So Paul had experienced past deliverances and these gave him assurance that God will rescue him in the future. God had delivered him once. He was going to deliver him again. But deliverance is not always immediate and it never looks the same sometimes. James was beheaded. Paul was released from prison. Yes, later beheaded, but he was released from prison while James was beheaded. Deliverance comes, but it doesn't always look the same and it doesn't always come immediately. Sometimes from our trials and other times in our trials. So amid the suffering, Paul experienced God's empowering presence and that created a more intimate bond to Christ. It drew him near to the heart of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It pushes us to the heart of God As I prayed, it pushes us to the lap of our daddy to hold on to him, to look up in his face. Hudson Taylor wrote, it does not matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or whether it presses you nearer his heart. Let me ask you today, do you sense a closeness to God that you have not experienced in a long time? I think some of you can say, yeah. 
There was no other place to turn. I had no other hope. He was the only one. And I cried out to him and I begged him and he delivered me. Suffering has a way of doing that for us. What's very important to understand here is he said here that we have set our hope on God. We have set our hope on God. Again, for your grammar, grammar people like myself, it's that perfect verb, which means at some point in the past, Paul made a decision that no matter what comes into my life, I will hope in God. And that has carried him through the whole way. So I'm wondering if you have said definitively, God, I have placed my hope on you and I don't care what comes into my life, I still will hope in you. That's what Paul says, past tense, continuing effect in his life. And every decision he made was based on this, I believe that God will help me. My hope is in him. Before his affliction, Paul had determined that God was his only hope and that was fixed in stone in his mind. He had settled it once and for all before the event took place. So when the event happened, it did not throw him for a loop. This is a fundamental confidence that we have in God. So Paul then turns to the Corinthians in verse number 11 and says, hey, pray for us. Paul was never ashamed to ask Christians to pray for him. Pray for us. We need it. Pray for us. Please, we need someone standing with us, someone that has our back, someone that comes alongside. We need prayer. Would you pray for us is what Paul says. There's an interesting story in the Tuesday morning's newsletters by Tom and Bernard. He said this, the Bible is literally full of stories of heroism. One of my favorites is found in 1 Samuel chapter 14. The hero is Jonathan, the son of King Saul. With only his armor bearer backing him up, Jonathan took on an outpost of Philistine soldiers and almost single-handedly killed 20 of them. It is a story of courage, but there is a story within the story. Jonathan had at his side a young armor bearer whose name we do not know. While Jonathan was experienced in battle and was equipped for hand-to-hand fighting, all we know about the armor bearer is that he was young, that he carried Jonathan's armor, and that he cleaned up after him. Verse 13 reads, Jonathan climbed up toward the outpost using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. This is a story of war, of course. You're probably not gonna hear this in the Sunday school class, all right? But here it is. One of the most powerful truths in the story is that without his armor bearer standing with him, backing him up, the end result may have been quite different. We need someone to stand with us when we're facing threatening times. We need people to pray for us. We need to pray for people. We need support. We need those people who will go to the wall for us in the midst of a life-threatening event. See, God acts through the prayers of his people. When we pray, he answers our prayers. You know it and I know it. We experienced that on the day of the wildfire. We were praying, you were praying, you experienced answers to your prayer. Philippians 1.19, Paul says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Pray. You know, as horrendous as this event was, there were some miracles that took place. There were some miracles. You probably know of some yourself. I've heard of some and some have been reported. 
but if you know firsthand of a miracle. Now, I say that because I found out in a crisis, information is coming fast and furious, and most of it is wrong. (laughs) So if you have definitive evidence of a miracle, share it. Share it with your neighbors. Share it with your friends. Share it with the community to exalt God and tell them how great he was in the midst of this tragedy. God is still working miracles. Difficulties can increase our faith. Difficulties can strengthen our prayer lives. Difficulties can draw us closer to other Christians as they share our burdens with us. And difficulties can be used to glorify God. Jane Inglesom wrote this poem. It's titled, In the Valleys I Grow. Sometimes life seems hard to bear, full of sorrow, trouble, and woe. It's then I have to remember that's in the valleys I grow. If I always stayed on the mountaintop and never experienced pain, I would never appreciate God's love and would be living in vain. I have so much to learn and my growth is very slow. Sometimes I need the mountaintops, but it's in the valleys I grow. I do not always understand why things happen as they do, but I am very sure of one thing, my Lord will see me through. My little valleys are nothing when I picture Christ on the cross. He went through the valley of death. His victory was Satan's loss. Forgive me, Lord, for complaining when I'm feeling very low. Just give me a gentle reminder that's in the valleys I grow. Continue to strengthen me, Lord, and use my life each day to share your love with others, to help them find their way. Thank you for the valleys, Lord, for this one thing I know. The mountaintops are glorious, but it's in the valleys I grow. Why did Paul want the Corinthians even to know this information? What was it that was so, yes, he was telling them, I'm going to be late. I can't come right now. That was important, but they needed to know something. How do you help those who are in need? How do you come alongside and minister to those who are in affliction and life-threatening situations? So he writes this to them to show us exactly. In fact, he told us in verses three and four of chapter one, which we didn't look at. Look at verses three and four. He told us, this is his advice to us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The God who encourages us. In fact, the root word of that, that we get the root word from that, we get the word paraclete, which is another name for the Holy Spirit. Helper, comforter, counselor, paraclete. The one who comes alongside and stands in for another is the idea. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort, that's the encouragement, the help, the strength with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He has allowed us to go through this so that we can comfort others. So we can come alongside and we can put our arms around them and we can pray for them and we can help them. We are here to comfort others because God has comforted us and we wanna take this message of comfort out and stand alongside and bear the burdens and lift them up. We have been comforted by God. We're going to extend that comfort to those in our community. Come alongside somebody in need today. Or if you're the one in need, let us come aside to you. Let's pray, Father. Father, we thank you again 
We don't know. We don't have the answers. So many things. We just know what we know about you. You do not change your character. There's no shadow of turning with you. You don't ever change. You're unchangeable. So all of your character attributes, when it was recorded years ago in your word, are still valid today. We trust you. We trust your character. We trust who you are. And even when we're helpless and weakness, which is all the time, you are there with the resurrection power of Christ to strengthen us and to help us pick one foot up and take another step. Father, for our community, may we find healing in our community. May hearts be healed. Oh, Lord God, may our community turn to you for hope and strength. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.